Welcome to Globally Speaking, sponsored by RWS Moravia and Nimzi Insights. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Michael and Renato. I'm Michael Stevens. I'm Renato Beninato. And today on Globally Speaking, we're taking a fresh look at innovation in localization. My name is Altan O'Brien. I was born in and around the time of Sgt. Pepper's LP release date. I am a user experience professional. I'm working in the fintech industry at the moment, but I have a background in Silicon Valley in Europe with uh, some of the big ones, but also some startups. I've been heavily involved in localization. Some of you may know me as at localization on Twitter. I've been involved in multilingual magazine, and I have a big interest in conversational computing, NLP, innovation, creativity, and surprise, surprise for an Irish person, storytelling. So we're going to be able to get all of our questions answered around innovation and get some good stories out of our conversation. Well, I shall certainly try my best. Right. You know, it's an unfolding story, but let's give it a go. Let's first talk about the rapid change of innovation. The timeline, you, you've been working at this for a while. What's the difference you're seeing now that companies are facing in getting innovation done? Well, there are several. I mean, one of the big ones is that the pace of innovation has accelerated. And of course, this is driven by the cloud and accumulation of huge amounts of data. People are just not able to, you know, process this information quickly enough. Now we have seen new inventions, new chips, uh, new AI models, and so on. But those are, are, you know, what I call to be pixel-level problems. You know, you can throw technology at it. But the, the real problem, I think, is there's a lack of creative or innovative design thinking literacy in the community. We don't have enough participation by real people doing real jobs in real places. It's still dominated by, shall we say, geeks uh, and this myth of, of Silicon Valley being the center of everything that's brilliant and no, nowhere else matters. The center of innovation and brilliance is the pub around the corner where you live, right? That would be a <laughs> major place of, shall we say, uh, ideation. Doesn't feel too good in the morning sometimes, but here's how I define innovation. It's a relationship between people and things that have a story that's going to solve a problem. Okay. And without a story, it's nothing. You know, innovation right now is just PowerPoint, creativity is just TED Talk. Without a story, it doesn't come to life. You know, you've got to be able to communicate that. You've got to be able to work with people, speak their language. Look at blockchain. What does that stuff even mean? You know, mining, Bitcoin, gas, DAP. Is it any wonder it hasn't taken off? It's really this ability to relate to people. Well, this is why I brought up the pub. I mean, it's it's yeah. where you you find your humanity, and uh, even geeks go to the pub and try to have normal conversations over there. You're right. I mean, it, it's wherever people meet, wherever ideas collide something great will come out of it. But unless you have the relationship with other people, innovation, uh, technology, it's just a hammer in search of a nail. What 
is the job to be done here by this? What's the value add? How do I communicate it? It's all pretty much common sense. It's being able to regard people as humans. I hate that word user, um, particularly in the space I work in. Only two industries or activities, shall we say, use this term user. One is high tech and the other is illegal drugs. Right, and the like, drug dealer. Oh, yeah, nobody's a user. They're a mother, they're a soccer player, they're a cyclist, they're an accountant, they're a translator. They've got something to do. They've a role to play, you know, but they're, they're not users. And I can tell you who definitely are not the users, the people who usually build the technology we have to interact with on a daily basis, you know, the IT department or the marketing department. Your definition of a story is a little bit different than how people may hear that. Because yeah. I think there are a lot of ideas that are coming out of Silicon Valley. There are a lot of ideas that are getting funded right now. But the concept of story, when you talk about it, is a layer deeper than just an idea. That's true. I mean, the story is the communication of the journey. What are we trying to do here? What's in it for you? Why should you be interested and at the core of it is an empathy for the kind of challenges or the problems, the pains and the gains that people really feel. Unfortunately, this term storytelling has been conflated with making up stories. Yeah. So if you've watched Silicon Valley on HBO, it's like, we all want to make the world a better place. Yeah, you do like hell, you know, you just want to be acquired and make a lot of money. So there's a lot of ideas out there that are just not solving any problems and because they're not grounded in any kind of, of human-centered approach, uh, any ethnography, they've never taken a walk in a, in a user's shoes. I'm not solving anything. I remember the last time we met, you had four watches in your wrists. I know you're a runner, and you had like a, an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Google, or Android something, and you were comparing these tools. And I remember... I asked you if they gave you the same information. They said, oh, hell no, they're all different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what is the role of this ever-present technology? You talk about design thinking and, and user-centric approach, human-centered approach, which mm. is the core of design thinking. You start with the user and not with the idea. Yeah, you start you start by observing real people doing real things. I mean, it goes back to Jane Goodall and her work with chimpanzees in the late 1960s. One day she saw a chimpanzee get a stick and scrape some ants out of a hole in the ground. And there you go, there's technology. That's innovation. And we use exactly the same techniques. Watch what people do, not so much listen to what they say. That's what, what is missing, you know. But who does it right? You're a very critical person. You look at the world with uh, cynical eyes. What has impressed you? You're not an easy person to impress. No. First of all, I'm only wearing three watches at the moment. But, um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I like. I like really simple things, and I like things that reflect the way I work. So even stuff like Intuit's Snap Tax. I'm a U.S. citizen. I still file taxes. You can you know, do it off your mobile phone. It's almost like it sucks up the ink into the phone. You can photograph your W-2 and you get a 1044. Simple stuff like how salespeople really work, sales reps on the road. They'll come into a meeting or they'll come into Starbucks and they've got their laptop and their 
iPhone and, you know, iPad, but they've also got a notebook and a pen. And they're able to talk to people and they write things down because it helps them remember, it prompts them later. What would impress me there if somebody comes up with a solution whereby they can get, you know, voice recorded memo or photograph of the business card or of the notes that just made my notebook and got that into the cloud. I like really simple things like that. I like the fact you can take Apple AirPods out and put them in and they, they turn on. You don't have to look up PhD thesis on what Bluetooth is. I like the fact Hipmunk, which is a travel booking online service, gives you a pain threshold. This is going to be painful for you to take this route, but it will be cheap. That really impresses me. I love the fact, as a vegan, that Beyond Meat Burgers now have a, a, a version of a burger that bleeds. That's, it's beef juice because it resonates with me, you know? So you, there are things that still woo you. Yeah, there are. Any technology that automates what I hate doing and augments what I love to do, I'm there. You know, so people talk about AI. Oh, AI will be the next Rembrandt, will be the next Beatles. And I'll say, no, no, no. The job of AI is to help Rembrandt take out the trash so that I can be Rembrandt for real. I can have time to be creative. I can time to be innovative. I can have time to enjoy life. Efficiency, satisfaction, and effectiveness are the three things you look for and you measure. And But really for me, you know, great usability means being able to go home early. You know, be able to play with your kids at, at 2 p.m. in the afternoon because you can get your work done quickly. It means that, you know, you're going to come into the office the next day and not live in fear of, of the overnight cleaners having removed the post-its from your laptop because you just can't remember how to get back into the system or how the thing works. You know, it, it's just abstracting away the pain and just letting you get on with your life. I don't get many aha moments or wow moments, but occasionally you do. Those are a delight, you know. And they change over time. What was delightful yesterday is now an expectation. You know? Yeah. 25 years ago, if you went into a hotel and had free Wi-Fi, it's like, wow, I don't have to get a coupon and sign up for this. Travel used to be a big deal. Now it's like getting the bus, right? It's an expectation. It's like hell. It's not a delight. But it's tickets for tens of dollars rather than hundreds or thousands of dollars. But it's an expectation. What are they competing with there? They're not competing with, you know, Flight on Concord. They're competing with Skype or digital communications and making it easy for people to get around to visit. And it's a fascinating model. I've been doing transatlantic flights for decades. And now it's it's like almost a chore. Does somebody make this better? I mean, why haven't planes got faster? I mean, they still, still fly at six to 700 miles an hour. You know, just put more people on them. This notion of a community of practice is intriguing to me. It's something I'm, I'm doing a master's degree in, in innovation, creativity, and leadership. And, and the one thing that keeps coming up is people just don't know how to get started. Like, where do I start? How do I innovate? You've got to almost fake it till you make it. You've got to act your way into innovating. You'll never innovate your way into making something brilliant. You know, you've got to go out and try things. Just yeah. try the future is going to follow a straight line in a certain direction, and that's what you can expect. And the reality is, when you look at a, a trend line, it's not really one line, it's, it's a cone 
that uh, goes out in many directions because innovation and change is happening at the same time in so many things. Yeah. We are in a special spot here in the localization industry because we touch so many areas of knowledge and technology. Yeah. But the reality is that what is happening in the automotive industry is disruptive. What is happening in uh, software is disrupting. What is happening in communications is disruptive. But all these disruptions are going at different speeds. The nature of uh, innovation and change has become more widespread than linear. Change is all around us. Actually, you know, we've, we've always been in a state of change and workers have always been knowledge workers. But the, the rate of change now and the scope at which we encounter innovation is just quite staggering. Unfortunately, we are still blinded by the science, so to speak, and very much think of it as, as digital. But in fact, it's not. It's all around us how we relate to each other. This has been going on for, for, you know, as long as I have been alive. It's just now so fast and so difficult to predict. So I have a 14-year-old son, and people say to me, you know, what does he want to be when he grows up? And I'm like, I, I, have, I, I, don't, I have no idea. I, I don't worry about it. It I doesn't mean, exist. It doesn't, because he will probably do a job that right now does not exist, and mm -hmm. it won't even think of it as a job. Why sweat it, you know? I mean, I, I ended up in user experience, a term I, I, I still cannot explain to my mother. I know it when I feel it. But if you said to me 20 years ago, you know, when I started out at Microsoft, is the localization PM for Windows 3.1 that you'll end up, you know, observing how insurance brokers in uh, Hong Kong go about their daily business and then be able to design a solution for them. I, and that's going to be called user experience. I would be like, what? It's just mind-blowing. Um, that's, I think, what's great about it. If you have a mindset that is free from fear, you can really harness it. But I think there's, a, there's still a lot of fear out there. So when you step back from the localization industry, would you describe it as innovative? Yes, I do. I mean, I, I fundamentally at its heart is it's the relationship between people. The localization industry, as you know it now, is very different to what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and, and like how it goes about its business, how it goes about making money. Unless they were still making connections between people and, and connecting people on technology, it, it, you know, it just wouldn't exist. It's a really healthy, thriving industry. For me, localization is actually kind of my first steps into user experience. Localization basically is user experience, right? It's been able to reflect how people actually communicate, whether it's digitally or whatever. But very often it's kind of got sidetracked into conflating innovation with tech. So, you know, I see a lot of various companies, which I won't name nameless, and one of them was trying to take on Oracle in the customer relations space at one point, which I thought was rather comical. That's their core competency, the ability of being able to put relationships between people together all over the world to solve problems, to communicate, and so on. We've been sidetracked by crazy debates um, about technology and so on, but I think localization is so fascinating to me. It's fundamentally about how you know people live and work, and can you communicate that story? Yeah, <clears throat> and you have differing views. Like there's one person on this call who would say, that especially language service providers, the main service they provide is project management. 
where yeah, yeah where I mean, others I, I, say I, 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 user yeah, experience yeah. is important and language happens to be a dynamic of that yeah. user experience and so there's a debate around who we are and what purpose we're serving not just in localization but i think generally yeah a couple of my friends are still very active in the industry and you know when i, when I talk to them it's like i might as well be talking to somebody in, in silicon valley you know talking about ai and MLP and NL and deep neural networks and all this kind of stuff. And I think they've kind of got sidetracked a little bit about it. Very often that the language industry too is, is very hard on itself and, and doesn't see possibilities that are out there. My favorite argument is the one about, you know, Google Translate. It's like, oh, you know, take all our jobs and don't use Google Translate to do this, that, or the other, you know, efficient, you know, you'll end up in trouble. But really, like, what is the alternative to Google Translate? It's not a professional translator. It's not a professional language service. It's no communication at all. So what is the job to be done there? It's not trying to replace you. It's, it's maybe trying to do heavy lifting somewhere or enabling people to establish relationships. So, you know, I use Google Translate all the time, but what you can do is you can machine translate code and use it as pseudo translation and figure out the dynamics of the UI. How much is this text going to expand when it's in, you know, German or whatever. So they miss that. And there's also this obsession with perfection. I now live in, you know, so-called agile scrum world. Okay. Where it's done. That concept does not exist. It's when it's ready now okay because you know always the design is done when a problem goes away another problem comes along okay so it's ready is where you know it's fit for purpose somebody can use this somebody can get something done i've seen so many projects derailed and so many arguments and so much lost roi because somebody did not like a particular term. Not that it was wrong, not that it stopped anybody from using anything, but they didn't like it. Now, I understand language evolves, but really, why are we here? You know, if you're in the industry, like, you're solving a problem, you're trying to get people to do things. You know, this is not an academic exercise in, in, in linguistic brilliance. So if you could put up a billboard that the leaders in localization could look at for inspiration to innovate? What would that billboard say? What is the job to be done here? I'm a big fan of Clay Christensen, yeah. this job to be done approach from you know Harvard Business School. You might, you might have heard of it. But the innovator's dilemma. And the innovative dilemma, but also like what problem are you trying to solve? Right. The milkshake um, example. The milkshake example, yeah. the classic milkshake example. Yeah, for those of our uh, listeners who haven't heard it. Yeah, for people who don't know, it's like why do people buy milkshakes at drive-in takeaways? Um, people have all kinds of theories. Yeah, because, you know, it won't spill and there's a cup holder already in the car and all this kind of stuff. Oh, they're hungry and they couldn't get breakfast. Actually, they're just doing it because they're bored. <laughs> they wanted to be entertained. They didn't want to fall asleep. So who, what are they competing with? They're competing with Kai Resdell on... on KPD, NPR. I mean, yeah. that's, that's that's the milkshakes competition. It's not between Burger King and McDonald's. Who are Skype competing with? Probably competing with Ryanair, actually. Yeah. 
what I would say to Billboard is take a look around and just try it. Take a walk in their shoes. It's a challenge for several LSPs. They're trying to tell what they do instead of understanding what problem the client is trying to solve. The client exactly. is not trying to translate a document. He's trying exactly. to communicate with the buyer in another country. He wants to sell more or mm -hmm. he wants to avoid the customer service complaint. They want some more OI. They want to increase productivity. They want to hire more people. They want to sell more product. That's why they're going to localization providers. It's not so that they can be a case study on a language service provider's website or eventually get invited to localization world. No, I mean, it, it, these are real problems. I mean, they're not always business problems. I mean, I, I remember talking to um, Andrew Breedenkamp from Acrolinx. They help you write better, communicate better. And, and, and I said, like, what's driving you here? Is it the technology thing? And he says, no, there's the fact that we now communicate to people in, in sub-Saharan Africa, basically don't defecate in drinking water because it's dangerous in simple terms. And I know the localization industry has been very proactive in, in, in this, in tech for good as well. People want to communicate for a reason, but it's not for the sake of it. Language service, it's a service-based industry and people will go elsewhere if that service is not being met. It's simple as that. If there's no ROI and there's no satisfaction, nobody's going to buy a product. You've worked with localization, you've worked with um, user experience, user interface, you work with innovation, with creativity, with storytelling. What is the project that you're most proud of having done? The project I'm most proud of having done, probably something like doing a Russian language version of Microsoft DOS and releasing it from Ireland and, and working with a Russian engineer and a Russian translator on site. We just had a great relationship going together. But when we just did it, and we had all kinds of constraints. This was just after the wall came down and Cold War still very much in people's minds. I have a couple of patents out there from the USPDO that I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I helped people make things easier in work. If you go to Urban Dictionary, there's a term in there called craplication. <laughs> and the official definition of it is it's a, it's a preloaded application on your PC that they give you in work and you have to use it, but it's crap. It's a really great definition. I'm proud of trying to take craplications out of circulation, people to get their job done quickly, painlessly. More recently, I've been involved in, in the creation of chatbots that have helped that. And I'm very proud of that. If you said to me, what's the thing you're proud of most? It was somebody came up to me once in, in one of my previous employers, I won't say, and said, we saw your presentation and we saw your storytelling and we were so impressed that we're joining your company. We're leaving. We're starting next week. And I was like, wow. You convinced you know, somebody to join. <laughs> yeah. Convince somebody to join to change their mind. Final question. As a yeah. runner with the three watches that you have in your arms right now, which one do you recommend I buy? I recommend you buy the most expensive one, which is the, <laughs> <laughs> the industry standard. It's the Garmin uh, Phoenix 5 XS. Actually, there's a new one out, but it's fabulous. It does what it is supposed to do, mm. and the UX is brilliant. Let me give you one example. Try using an Apple Watch for running in Ireland in the rain. You can't. Your touch-sensitive thing goes.
the rain in Ireland so heavy, it acts as a force function and, and, they, and they watch things as a gesture. This garment has big, chunky buttons on it. <laughs> so when you're freezing cold and wet, there's a great T-shirt you might have seen in um, Marathons or Runs, uh, Renato's like, if I collapse and die, the first thing you do is you go to my Garmin and you stop it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, if, if like I defy anybody to stop an Apple Watch in one click, mm -hmm. you know, and send that information to the cloud. Garmin is great. Suntu, who are Finnish, uh, are fabulous as well. But I have a preference for Garmin. Um, are they also good APIs and do integrations and all kind of funky stuff? I've got all kinds of watches. I even have the Step It, the McDonald's activity tracker, which I wore in the Dublin Marathon as a joke. It was but, more accurate than the Apple Watch? No, it, it, it collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> it was given out in Happy Meals in the US and Canada, and it was drawn on McDonald's after two weeks because there was a danger of it burning people. Oh, no. Which, ironically, Intel then themselves fell into that trap and had to withdraw the um, basis peak, which was probably the best activity tracker ever to arrive, but did exactly the thing as, same thing as the McDonald's step at watch, so it was taken off the market. Just keep trying stuff. Be fearless. Be brave. Nobody's getting out of here alive. We have a short time, and the graveyard is full of indispensable people. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much, Alfred. For more Globally Speaking information, you can find us on our website, www.globallyspeakingradio.com, on Facebook, and you can follow us also on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you like this episode, please think of one friend who might enjoy it and encourage them to subscribe as well. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, sponsored by RWS Moravia and Nimzi Insights. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or any number of podcast portals. Check out our other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com where you can find transcripts from every show. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So please visit us online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. 